0: if you watched any college football yesterday then then you saw one if you didn't see one you no doubt will see one today if you watch the saints or if you watch the cowboys and they are playing at noon so we will make sure to be done by then (laughs) you can tell who they are by the way they dance in the end zone the hand motions they use in the face of other players or the way they are followed by penalty flags i mean these give indication about who these people are. You'll find them in the World Series or maybe in the hallways or from the floor uh, by a microphone in Congress. They are the showboaters. They love to make sure everyone knows how good they are, usually while standing over the failure of someone or uh, a lot of times in football, standing over someone they just tackled or someone they just gave a late hit to. I actually saw one this past week at Jack's uh, JV football game, and I didn't see it at first, but from the uh, alert that my wife gave out as she saw it, I looked over and saw what was going on, and uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. One of the players from the other team had, had made a powerful tackle. I mean, it was a great textbook tackle, but it was late, and it was cheap, and it was dirty. The player showboated in front of his teammates, bringing no condemnation, by the way this was a Christian school they were playing, bringing no <laughs> condemnation for, uh, from his coaches or from the other players, uh, really no one, not even the refs paid any attention to it. Although I do think they heard Jenny, <laughs> and rightly so. To those of us who were on the visitor side and probably even to many on the home side, it was poor sportsmanship. And it was appalling to see a player treat another player this way. A self-exalter had done his showboating once again. And these self-exalters are all around us. They're in our workplaces. They're in our schools. Uh, they're in our churches. They're, they're just all around us. And this happens all the time. Well, Jesus had a lot to say to self-exalters. He had a lot to say to the showboaters of the world. And Sometimes Jesus himself was accused of exalting himself, but we find that that was never the case. In fact, we find, as we look at the cross that he died on, that it was anything but self-exaltation. But Jesus had some things to say. And in our gospel text today, in Luke chapter 18, we, we get a story about one. And we don't usually get a story in the gospels with built-in commentary, But Luke does provide us with some commentary on this one. Uh, As Jesus was there telling the crowd, he uh, begins his story by putting a summary statement on the beginning of it, right up at the front, lest we happen to miss it. And he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Luke thinks that his readers are not quite bright enough to understand what Jesus was saying, or that they just weren't good listeners, that that they just kind of had that uh, glazed look in their eyes as they were hearing this story from Jesus, or that they understood what Jesus was saying, that they clearly heard it, but they were in such denial about their own spiritual lives that it just went right past them, and they never really thought it was about them. So Jesus gives this pointed introduction to them. And really, whatever the case, we as listeners today probably fall into one of those categories as well, don't we? We either think, well, this couldn't be about me, or we think, "Uh, I just don't understand it. Every time Jesus tells a parable, I just don't get it. And if we're honest, most of the time we probably don't. We have to allow our ears to open and our eyes to see. But maybe we're in that third category where we hear it, we understand it, but we don't think it applies to us at all. It's about someone else. This parable belongs to my neighbor, not to me. And as we do so, we realize we need help in getting beyond what is probably our biggest blind side of all. Jesus, who is the best of storytellers and and one who is very well acquainted with the condition of the human heart, he began a description of this story of the two men who were going up to the temple to pray. And we just kind of get the imagery here, and in some of the paintings you'll see on the screen, you can get an idea of the kind of of words that Jesus was using here as he described these two. And the first thing to note is that they are both accustomed. Both of these men are accustomed to going to the temple. And prayer, uh, especially for Jews, Jews like Jesus, this was something that they would do. They could do it on a personal level any time. And they would definitely do it one time of year as they would come in for the Day of Atonement. And they would go to the temple because that was the place where atonement was given, where the sacrifices were made. And we don't get all of the uh, the details about these two men's lives. We get a glimpse of it in the things that they say. But we do know that it was uh, something that they were used to doing, going to the temple to pray. And the similarities, though, that these men have in their prayer lives really ends there, that they went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee is one who has devoted his life to the law, doing all that he can. He is making sure that he has crossed all the T's, he's dotted all the I's in his life, and he is observing the law, the law of God, in every facet of his life. And his four statements about what he does are all in the language of every self-exalter. Every self-exalter you'll ever run into uses the same language. The first person singular. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Isn't that a great way to start? Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's already paid attention to the people around him that are less than he is. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. And the language that's used here is that he's, he's gone beyond tithing. I mean, he's like tithing on steroids. He's just everything he can find around him that he thinks is income or some kind of revenue to him. He is obsessed with making sure that God and everyone else understands that he has tithe. To his last dime. And maybe he was even doing an end zone type dance uh, as he said all of these things. Jesus said God wasn't impressed, as he didn't go home justified. I mean, it's like all that he did, that's, that's all he gets is all of his recognition in front of his peers for being this obsessive lawkeeper. The other man, though, the tax collector. And by the way, just to reframe what a tax collector is in their society, I think we still, maybe it's genetic, uh, we just don't like paying taxes, we still don't like to hear that word tax collector, and if you are one, I'm sorry. Um, but back then, they, uh, the Roman government would collect taxes, and uh, within their own religious system, there were people who would collect taxes, or they would collect Uh, money for the temple, they would collect uh, what would be something that would go to within their own religious causes and and reasons. And we know that Matthew and Zacchaeus and others, they had this job of collecting taxes. But they were seen as traitors. They were one of your own who was working for somebody else that was viewed as a a traitor, coming and knocking on your door and collecting taxes from you. And if you didn't pay your taxes, then you were going to get roughed up a little bit. And you knew that if you gave taxes to the tax collector, he was going to take what was to to be given to the the government, but he would take the rest of it and put it in his pocket. And this was just allowed. It was just something that was done. And so this this man is a tax collector. And he has no list at all like the Pharisees to share with others, and, and certainly he had no great list to share with God. The only things he can list are his sins, which are obviously weighing heavily upon his heart and his his soul as he enters the temple. There is no celebratory dance, no fist pumping, there's no working the crowd at all. His posture is one of contrition and absolute brokenness with God. He knows who he is and he knows who God is. And with that awareness, he humbles himself before God, he beats his breast, he asks for mercy. Oh God! Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus noted that he was the one who went home justified by God. It wasn't the religious guy. It wasn't the guy obsessed with doing everything right. It was this guy who went home justified by God. Well, after getting the ear and perhaps the ire of this crowd with this story, Jesus added a powerful point of truth. As if anyone in the crowd thought this story had nothing at all to do with them. He wrapped up his story with this statement. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves, well, they will be exalted. In other words, all who build their own righteousness and keep their noses in the air, they'll be humbled. The nose that points upward will be lowered while those who recognize themselves for who they really are, and they approach God for salvation, they will be exalted. Their heads came in, bowed down, but they're going to be lifted up, lifted up by the hand of God, because God is dealing with them based on their hearts, not on their long list of things that they've done for God. As people who love to build ourselves up, We need to allow the truth of this story, this story of Jesus, to to put a spotlight on our hearts and on the practices that we have, these self-exaltation practices. The first thing that we can see once we put the spotlight on, and and really if we take an honest look as we're here this morning, is how we get a false view of ourselves. I was thinking about the state fair, I don't know if they still have these, but you you could go in and... They have the mirrors there and you look at yourself and you can see you know, yourself as uh, fat or really skinny or I don't know. They have all different ways of, of having you look at yourself. And we have a false view of ourselves sometimes when we look in the mirror. We see who we want other people to see that we are. Um, we see ourselves as we want to be and we usually don't see ourselves as we truly are. We, like the Pharisee, might actually have a great list of spiritual accomplishments. Have you referenced your list lately? We're all list keepers, right? And we keep a list, things to check off to see if we're doing them right. Maybe you did this on the way to church today. Passing all of those people in your neighborhood who are sleeping their way to hell. (laughs) You said that, right, as you saw them? You saw their car in the driveway? Or to the people who care more about working in their yard than in their soul, to your friends whose spirituality consists of hitting and then following around a little white ball on Sunday mornings. I mean, you would never do anything like that, would you? I mean, you're in church, you're getting full approval of God for being here this morning. God also is impressed with your dedication to tithing, to praying, to reading the Bible and to taking a Sabbath, saying a prayer of thanksgiving before every meal. And you get extra credit if you do this in a crowded restaurant where no one else is praying. And you get twice as many points if you hold hands in front of everybody and make sure that they know that you are praying. Doing these things is not a problem. I mean, it is okay to tithe In fact, it's very good to tithe. It is okay to say prayers in public. It's great to thank God for your food. These are all good and they have their place in our lives. But the problem comes in thinking that doing these things makes you acceptable to God. That what God wants from us is what we do for Him. And the deceptive thought creeps in that you actually are good. That what you are doing is making you who you are. And this creates problems. Any blessings, good health, promotions, riches coming your way, uh, they're coming to you because God thinks that you're as good as you think that you are. And when this happens, you and I become as miserable as the Pharisee that Jesus describes in the story. And it is the tragedy of a life lived with a false view of reality, a false view of of yourself. But there's also a problem in thinking that we are what we do. That those who do not do what we do, like we do, are not. That they are just not. They don't matter. They don't line up to how God views that they are to be. And they certainly aren't as good as we are. To get to the place of exalting our own self-image, we do so by skewing our view of others. I mean, that's kind of what helps us do that, right? We compare ourselves Even when we are just having a miserable day and we know that we've done things that are not very good, we can at least look and find the tax collector with us and say, well, at least I haven't done what she did or he did. We forget that we are made of the same stuff as they, that uh, our noses are really not any different than theirs. Having to lift our nose to get them higher than other people's is our way of making them different. And we fall short of the glory of God every day, just as much as the thieves, just as much as the rogues. Isn't that a great word, by the way? The rogues, I love that word, rogues, and how we use it to refer to other people. Uh, adulterers and tax collectors, this is how we do them. I mean, don't we? Don't you? When we seek to exalt ourselves above the others by comparing our acts of righteousness with those of other people's, Uh, We not only commit a sin of, of pride, but we transgress against God's unconditional love and God's unconditional grace that is for sinners, just like us. We not only fail to see them as God sees them, but our greatest sin may be in misusing our energy and puffing ourselves up instead of building up our neighbors. We judge criminals in our parish Yet we have not visited anyone in prison, nor have we sought to make a difference with what tends to cause criminal activity right here in our community. Or we condemn the prostitute marketing her wares under the bridge downtown, yet we do nothing at all to address the huge problem of sex trafficking here in Shreveport. We just ignore it. We just judge them. We despise the rogue, yet we've never worked at a homeless shelter or in any programs to make homelessness disappear from our city. And what about our feelings for the tax collectors in our midst? Our disdain for them may be clouding our memory of how Jesus loved them, of how Jesus spent quality time with them. The reading that's coming up for next week is about Zacchaeus. Take some time this week to look at that. See how Jesus went out of his pathway to spend some time with Zacchaeus. Lewis Black, I don't know that I've ever quoted Lewis Black <laughs> in any sermon before, but here's the first. It said, if you're working out in front of a mirror, I mean like working out your muscles and watching your muscles grow, your ego has reached a point where it is now eating itself. Have you ever been to a gym and everybody's working out in front of the mirror? There's just something about that. Something that is just wrong. He says, that's why I believe there should be a psychiatrist at every health club. So that when you see, uh, when, when you see them doing this, they will take you away for a little chat. <laughs> He's right, isn't he? And maybe there needs to be a psychiatrist at church to help us when we get to the unhealthy point of watching our spiritual muscles grow and watching ourselves become all of these different things and getting a false view of ourselves and a false view of God. We need someone, someone like Jesus, to take us away for a chat and remind us what spirituality is really all about. A false view of yourself from exalting yourself leads to a false view and treatment of others. And the biggest problem with self-exaltation comes from the false sense of God that we develop and perpetuate. Like the Pharisee who couldn't see beyond the height of his pile of good works and his perfectly pious behavior, we become blinded when we get more focused on what we do for God. These stacks of righteousness get in our way of seeing the radiant bursts of the light of God's revelation that, that comes to us as God's grace. We become like the Pharisees in the story, in the crowd of Jesus that day, standing in front of the illuminating light of God that comes provided to them through Jesus, right in front of them, and yet unwilling to step into it. The light of the world was shining down on them, and yet they kept walking away from it. Their false view of God didn't allow for a God who provided such grace for the sinner. Who didn't grade people as they graded people. Before judging them and thus becoming like them. That's the trick in this parable. Becoming like them and so doing. Let us recognize it doesn't take much for us to get a false view of God as well. We love to worship God. But sometimes it's a God of our own making. One who thinks and acts the way that we want Him to. The one who fits nice and neatly within our own view. When we practice self-exaltation, we not only limit how much God loves other people, but even more so, we limit how much God can love us. We restrict God. I think it would have been great this past week if, if the coach of that junior varsity team had run out on the field when he saw his player doing this showboating and boasting, pulled the whole team together in a huddle and said, this is not the way we do things. This is not the way we treat our opponents. When you knock someone down, you help them get up. When you make a great play, you just move on and go on to the next play. There is no boasting. There is no self-exaltation. You let the crowd take care of that. He didn't do that. I think what we hear from our gospel text today, from our parable, is of how Jesus comes to us. He huddles us up as followers of Him and of people who are trying to follow God's ways and God's laws in this world. And He says to us, for those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. But those who humble themselves They will be exalted. They will go home justified. May it be so for us today. May we go home justified. Justified by what God has done for us, not what we've done for Him. Let's pray. O God of grace and mercy, we beat our breast here this morning recognizing that We have tried so many times to work our way into the kingdom of God. We have